Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. Uh, I'm JT Russell, and uh, my usual co-host is unfortunately swimming in a pile of woe decks in his bathtub like Scrooge McDuck, but that's okay. Uh, my guest tonight is second to none, and of course, I am talking about uh, second deck, aka John. Hello, John. Welcome to Bottom of the Beaker. Welcome back to Bottom of the Beaker, I should say. <laughs> hey, Justin. I got to say, I'm pretty shocked that you allowed me to come back what was this the third time now? Um, but I'm happy to be here. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm John, also called Second Act. Um, I am a writer at Time Shapers, although I've been sadly negligent in that as of recent. I've got to get some articles out. And I am also a podcaster myself. Um, I work with uh, Dennis, um, also called Arlie, um, on the Weekend Key Warriors podcast. It's a strategy-focused podcast that we do. And um, if you like Bottom of the Beaker here, I encourage you to come check us out as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I enjoyed the uh, episode so far. I'm uh, I'm loving it. And of course, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I now I've got all the tips and tricks. So when I come around to play IRL, <laughs> when I do so frequently, <laughs> I'll be well-equipped to do battle. <laughs> for, for those of you who don't know, while we're podcasting over the internet here, in real life, we live, what, five miles from each other? Maybe five miles. And I think this now means that we've done this together more often than we've played IRL together. <laughs> this is probably true. This is probably true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But hopefully, well, we actually were just talking before this about getting some uh, woe release events uh, up and running that you're organizing at our local game store. So I'm looking forward to that. I've been resisting my GameFound pledge have come in but so far i've only opened uh the kind of savior decks and one unchained deck and otherwise holding strong wait you haven't opened your name decks yet oh well my my tale is a is a story of pleasure spliked and pain i think that i may have fumbled uh the personalization form for one of those pledges <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I've reached out to the fine folks at GG and I am sure that they're super busy doing lots of things that are more important than sorting out uh, my fat fingeredness, but we'll see where that goes. I have high hopes, but regardless, I'm just super pumped to have, you know, decks in hand and seeing some of these flowing. And I can tell you too, that I guess this is uh, this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler, not really a spoiler, but just, you know, some info. The uh, personalized decks don't come in, in outer foil. You'll see those without having to open them. But I have one really cool name uh, from the batch that did not get fumbled. And uh, my brother and I both got Russell Brothers uh, decks. So this one is Vigorously Mighty Russell Brothers J. <laughs> Vigorously Mighty. So I love the name, except for what's the J? <laughs> I'm, so I'm the J Russell brother, and he's the S Russell brother. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like Panpaka um, Yaga and Panpaka Anga. Exactly. I'm the power fox, and he's the skirmish fox. <laughs> <laughs> Would he agree yeah. with that? Uh, I think he'd probably say he's the power fox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It's probably more fitting all around, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so uh, those are coming. Uh, you can see maybe my my Gruen right behind me, very very proudly adorned up on top of uh, some boxes there. So super pumped. And uh, yeah, exciting topic in store for us tonight. Uh, we are talking about Oubliette, the Oubliette variant for Keyforge. And I guess also Ouroboros. Oh my gosh. I'm going to say it wrong like 10 million times. <laughs> Ouroboros, I thought. 
Ouroboros. So there's there is a book by the same name, and obviously it's a uh, a figure prominent in lore: the serpent or the the worm, the snake that eats that eats its own tail, that eats itself. Right. I listened to this book as an audiobook, and you'd think I'd be able to pronounce the name Ouroboros. Ouroboros from coming from the chat. Okay. And so yeah, both both awesome variants. Um, I guess maybe I'll briefly explain Oubliette, and maybe you can also fill us in on the Ouroboros. Sure. So how it works is in Oubliette, uh, you bring two decks and you also choose a house to ban. Uh, so you're kind of putting a house into the Oubliette, into the prison, as it were. Uh, your opponent does the same. And so at the end of the day, you have one, maybe two houses that are banned. And you look at the decks you brought, the decks your opponent brought, and any deck that features one of the banned houses cannot be played. Uh, but from among those that are not banned, you choose one, your opponent chooses one, and you do battle, uh, best of one, uh, your champion from the remaining decks and whoever emerges victorious is the victor. And of course you get to see what decks your opponent has post-ban and they get to see what decks you have available post-ban and you make a simultaneous selection of what to play. Uh, so there's uh, some really interesting kind of mind games to be played and uh, things to consider when putting together your lineup uh, that I'm sure we'll get into, but that's kind of the nuts and bolts of the format. And I should mention, of course, that this is uh, a variant that was created by Aurora, who runs timeshapers.com. And uh, you do also write for Timeshapers. So we got a little bit of a inside scoop. I don't know. Like I said earlier, I don't know if it's an inside scoop unless I actually start writing something. But <laughs> um, <laughs> while we're giving credit um, where credit is due, before I talk about the um, Ouroboros format, uh, I want to give credit to Karen, who was the one who designed that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if it was named the way that it was because of the fact that it kind of sounds similar to Oubliette. Uh, mm -hmm. At least a lot of the spelling is kind of similar. It starts with that O-U, so it mm -hmm. kind of connects the two together. Uh, I don't know if that's what Karen was going for, if it was for something else. But at any rate, it's a very similar format to um, Oubliette in that it involves wanting to bring decks with different houses in them because... In Oubliette, you bring two decks with different houses, and then you ban one house that's not in your decks. However, in Ouroboros, what happens is that the tournament organizer puts all of the various decks into a spreadsheet, and then the spreadsheet um, spits out for every round a house that is banned for that round using a randomization algorithm. And the more times a particular house is represented the more likely it is that that house is going to be banned. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, you know, Logos is the most prominent house, then it's more likely that Logos will get banned. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting in that it's different from Oubliette because you don't have quite as much control over what's going to happen each time. And so it's kind of fun at the beginning of each round getting to see, oh, what's the ban going to be for this round? So it introduces a little bit more chaos into the format, I would say, compared to what Oubliette is. Really interesting how they are, you know, so similar, but also, but also kind of fundamentally different too. Um, and I, I get this mental image of, you know, the, the for the, the format that eats itself, the serpent that eats itself, because the more, the more prevalent a given house is represented, you know, that's a juicy looking morsel for the old, uh, the old randomizing, uh, band machine to, to gobble up. Uh, so 
each each round, yeah, the, the serpent kind of takes one more chomp out of the deck pool. <laughs> like I said, you know, it, it can lead to just total chaos because walking into the first round of the first um, Ouroboros tournament, we were all expecting the ban was going to fall on something like Logos or Dis or something like that. And we were talking before the show, it was, I think it was your teammate, not tonight, um, who brought two decks that both had Brobnar in them, figuring that there was very little chance that Brobnar was going to be banned. I think the percent chance was something like 3%. And what did the ban fall on the first round? (laughs) Was Brobnar, which led to an auto loss. I should have, I should have looked up the, because I I bet we could dig out those bands because i feel like it was even more than that it was like two rounds in a row it was just like brobnar brobnar <laughs> she was like oh my gosh <laughs> oh, so funny we joke too because aurora is right now running in oubliette league through the through the time shapers league channel on sanctimonious that we're both role playing in and i'm sure we'll talk about our decks there and, and thoughts too but um we were joking as signups were going that this was going to be the like everybody bans Brobnar <laughs> just despite not tonight. <laughs> One of the things I think is interesting about the difference between Oubliette and Roboros is that typically in Oubliette, you're going to want to ban one of the stronger houses, right? Most people will ban Logos or Dis or Saurians or something like that, that they um, that their decks don't want to deal with for some reason. But because of the fact that in Roboros, you don't have control of your own, of what you're banning, there's less incentive to not bring one of those particularly strong houses. So as a result of that, you will generally see Logos and Dis and Saurians, and you won't see anybody not bring a deck specifically that doesn't have one of those. Whereas in Oubliette, you sort of have to do that. It's almost like in Oubliette, you have to bring seven houses, where in Ouroboros, you only bring six because you kind of have to account for that banned house. There is... I guess, an extra ban at play in any given round of Oubliette than Ouroboros, right? Because you have just one one ban from the system as opposed from one from each player. The the incentives creative are a little bit different, right? I, I guess there's sort of a value proposition that's teased in front of you by both of these formats, right? If you can find good decks that are you know, not typically going to be banned either by the player or by the by the spreadsheet or by the random randomization algorithm, then you may end up in a situation where you have a choice. And I guess if you are having less less common houses represented in your decks in Ouroboros, you know, you're more likely to have that happen. Possibly same for Oubliette. Um, but yeah, it's kind of this question of like, well, am I better off with my best decks and just accepting that one's likely to get banned or can I maybe shoot a little bit lower and then try and make up some value by having a choice more often uh, in terms of which deck I'm going to play because none of my decks got banned. So maybe that's a little bit a little bit interesting how the two different formats kind of tee you up to maybe take advantage of, of that bonus or that benefit. But I think you're right. I think in Ouroboros is maybe less, there's maybe a little bit less incentive to play around the like, well, the, the better houses are probably getting banned because, you know, there's only one ban at play and it's symmetric as opposed to uh, you having to, to dance around things. Yeah, and I think that ultimately lineup building is a little bit harder for Oubliette because of that extra ban floating around. So like I kind of said before, you know, it almost leads to having to account for seven houses instead of having to account for just six houses. So just it's going to stretch your collection a little bit thinner. It's kind of an interesting question, actually, talking about collections, because a lot of formats that have been created are formats that are designed to 
make it easier for people to compete, even if they don't have gigantic collections or even if they don't have elite decks or anything like that. It's worth noting that Oubliette isn't that, mm-hmm. um, nor is Ouroboros, but Oubliette um, is designed to encourage variety of decks that are played because of the fact that you're going to um, have to play more different houses. But it's still going to give a gigantic advantage to people who have large collections and people who have really strong decks because they're just going to have more strength to pull from. I agree with you on that. I think the I think the goal of probably both of these, I can speak to uh, Oubliette only because I've, I've heard or seen Aurora say it, say so. I'm less certain about Ouroboros, but yeah, the goal is diversity. Let's see some different decks get played. And then, yeah, we can we can get into whether or not that was achieved. But I'm curious while we're on the topic, do you think that the playing field is more level in Oubliette or Ouroboros than it is in just kind of straight Archon, single deck Archon? Like, do you think there's there's some some extra levers that give you a mechanism to level the playing field? Or do you think that we're kind of net same or even, a, even more of an advantage to the deeper collections? I feel like it almost works like SAS cap. SAS cap is one of those things where theoretically it levels out the um, collections, but in reality, the SAS caps are always thrown at the same numbers. So it really gives an advantage to the people who have those decks that um, slide right under those numbers, right? Like let's say a 65 SAS cap. I think that's what the ABR playoffs have. So that's a good example. So a 65 SAS cap is a SAS cap that gets thrown around a lot. So people build up collections that have really good decks that slide under that. And in a similar vein, I think Oubliette um, really helps people who have collections that have decks that fall outside the normal Logos Dis X um, sort of decks. I don't necessarily know that it is stronger or weaker in terms of that than what Archon is, but it does reward the people who have those decks that are a little bit different. It's still harder to compete if you don't have what you need, but it's a different thing you need. I'm curious to dig in this, and we might as well go with it. I, I pulled together some of the past Oubliette event data that I could find. So we've got um, some past Time Shapers leagues, all the ABR events. Unfortunately, not not this this most recent ABR because uh, I guess we had a we had a little issue with the spreadsheet, and I haven't pulled it together yet. But I'll I'll see if I can grab it and put it together uh, in either the show notes or as a post over on the old sloppy love work uh, post section. The most prevalent banned houses, right? So you've got Dis coming in at number one with with nearly 30% of the bands that were recorded going to Dis. Logos coming in at 20%, then Saurian and Untamed and Mars. So Logos and Dis combined com- uh, represent about half the bands that folks gave out, which is, yeah, not surprising. I mean, you say it's not surprising. To me, that's surprising. And what's surprising to me is not the fact that they're just over half the bands. It's the fact that they're only half the bands. Uh, okay. I would have expected Logos and Dis to account for 70% of the bands, probably. So we got a note in the chat, which I think is maybe what leads to some of this. I think that especially if you're coming in with a collection that's not quite as deep, right? You're going to have a hard time banning Logos or Dis and still putting up a lineup that's that's strong um, with two with two houses that are non-overlapping, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, even even if you go and you say forget about the bands, I just want to have no house overlap between my decks. That's already going to strain a lot of collections. And if you then say okay, but now also don't play logos or dis 
that's that's like that's a tough hurdle. So I think if there's one thing that's keeping those numbers from being higher, it's just that uh, a lot of folks need those to feel like they're putting together a competitive lineup. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that the band that the most common bands don't surprise me insofar as. I guess I'm a little bit surprised that Logos wouldn't be the number one band because I think Logos is the number one driver of strong decks. Mm-hmm. It does surprise me a little bit that um, this is the number one band, but I guess with Infernus in there, I mean, there's a lot of decks that just do not want to face this kind of control. That's going to be a major factor there. A lot of decks have a hard time dealing with board presence. So I think that's where the Saurians come in. Because if you can't deal with board presence, then um, Saurians are going to be a significant problem for you. I can see where Untamed would come from just because there's so much rush available in Coda that, or in DT for that matter, that are that's pretty much driven by Untamed. And then Mars bands, I guess, pretty much you're just looking at trying to ban Jenka and maybe like the Battlefleet key abduction kind of stuff. But I think for the most part, you're just looking at um, those sorts of combo-y things. This would be a good question for you, I guess, because uh, this was your band, if I remember right from correctly from the from the Time Shapers League. But I'm I'm assuming that most of the Mars bands are like, yeah, I threw some really good decks out, and now I just kind of don't want to get rolled by Jenka. My reason for the ban in the um, Time Shapers League was I picked the two decks I wanted to play, and I said, okay, now that I've got my two decks picked out and they don't have any house overlap, what is my remainder of what I could potentially um, face that I actually should be worried about? I looked at the houses that were left and I said, well, the only thing that was really that's really dangerous that's not in one of my decks um, is Mars because of Jenka. So, you know, that's what I'm going to ban. I figure that in a format where you are encouraged to play unusual houses... Mars is going to be very attractive because of Jenka. So you will hit something with a Mars ban, I think, more often than you would think you would. Well, you you hit my Jenka (laughs) (laughs) in that league, so it's working. (laughs) Yeah, my first round matchup playing against uh, Jeffrey PP, I hit one of his decks and he hit one of my decks. So we were down to, okay, well, no choices to be made here. We know what we're playing. I am squaring up against Karen in the first round and uh, we both banned Logos. So I, uh, neither of us obviously are playing Logos because that would be a poor choice if it was our <laughs> band. Uh, but yeah, now we both have a choice of what to play. I think I'm not misrepresenting that. Nope. Yep. Uh, Karen also has a Logos band. Uh, so we'll see. I have a I have Funky Jenka that I could play, Martian Generosity, Key Abduction, Hypnotic Command, or another deck that's uh, very rushy and very sneaky. The downside to my strategy of you know doing a Mars ban mm-hmm. is that if your ban misses, which when you have a when you when you're banning logos or dis or something like that, it's not likely to miss unless you're overlapping. Yep. But if you're banning Mars, there's a possibility that it misses. So if it misses and your opponent's ban hits, then they've knocked out one of your decks and they know exactly what you're playing. So they can then pick between the two decks that they have to figure out which one matches up better against whatever you're bringing. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do a band that's a little bit more obscure like that. It's not one of the big bands. Then you better be confident that the decks you have can handle pretty much whatever comes at them. So, so this actually teases me up really well, uh, John, because we see historically distant logos get banned. Uh, Shadows 
surprisingly has not been banned a lot. You'd think it would be. It's kind of like a house that comes to your mind as one to be kind of scared of, but hasn't been banned a lot. But now you are bringing a deck to the Time Shapers League that's got Dis, Logos, and Shadows in it, some some big houses in there. And so I'm curious if you, well, one, I'm curious if you were thinking this deck is going to get played often or we're kind of hoping to catch folks who wanted to roll with the powerhouses and have something to, to throw at them too. I guess I can start with that. I have another question to follow up, but let's start with that. Were you kind of hope, expecting to play this deck often or were you kind of thinking that you were very comfortable in the other one and, hey, it'll be nice if this happens? No, I'm definitely not expecting to be able to play Mira very often. Um, <laughs> that The deck's in there largely to eat bands. Mm-hmm. If it does get through, great. You know, I'm certainly happy to play it. But I think most of the time it's just going to be eating bands. And like I kind of said before, in that situation, you better be confident in your other deck. Okay. Because you know you're going to end up on your other deck quite a bit. So you better be sure that it can handle anything that your opponent throws at it, especially if they're going to get a choice of which one they throw at it. You heard it here, folks. The much improved elder of Atlapio, John's other deck. New acquisition, actually. Uh, From Astron, I think. That's right. right. We'll look forward to seeing how it does uh, in the league. Uh, when you when you uh, invariably play it that was part of my thinking was that with a new acquisition and you know trying to figure out what decks i'm going to um, want to play it you know vault tours and gen con and things like that uh, it's mm-hmm. a good opportunity to give it a test run especially totally. since, like i said mirror will pretty much get banned every time so you'll, you'll get to exercise it i guess that's a testament to the goals of the format being kind of achieved i mean uh i will admit that Oubliette has gotten me to look at my collection in different ways and has gotten me to look at potential buys in the secondary market in different ways too. So I guess that's anecdotal, but from the two co-hosts here, at least, right? Like we can say that we're we're reaching for different decks and trying stuff out. I'm just generally like love anything that's getting me to like dig deeper into the collection and, and look at decks in new light. But I guess what I was going to ask you before, so on on the topic of these three houses or these two houses in particular being most band worthy or most band drawing did you feel like you were i don't know were were you worried about leaving value on the table like i think there's an argument to be made that hey dis and logos one of those two are likely to be banned if you believe that they're the two best houses that you can bring to an archon game is it leaving value on the table to allow one to get banned along with the other you know what i mean and i certainly thought about um disconnecting them Mm mm-hmm Partially because I thought about disconnecting them and banning one of them. Yep. But I looked through my collection and when I disconnected them and I had to, of course, take out all of the houses that were in the other one too. And by the way, just as a general note here, um, for anybody who's playing, who hasn't played Oubliette before and is trying to find Oubliette decks, the decks of Keyforge search function is fantastic for this. What you want to do is just, X out whatever houses are in one of the decks you're playing and then X out whatever you're banned and see what's left in your collection and keep playing around with it like that until you figure out which two best decks you can get without hampering yourself too much with a ban. So decks of Keyforge, absolutely fantastic for that. But um, getting back to your question, mostly I was just not happy with what my choices were when I disconnected Logos and Dis there. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave them together. I'll do the Mars ban and I will um, just, you know, take the other deck and hope that it can um, hold up. Now, what's interesting about this is this is very different from the philosophy that I've brought to the ABR leagues, where in the ABR leagues, 
you generally don't have access to your entire collection by the time Oubliette comes up because you've had to burn everything for Archon and Triad and you can't use decks twice. So you have to be a lot more strategic there than you do when you have access to your entire collection. And we, we kind of uh, doubly got hit with that, right? Like uh, we just wrapped up the, the uh, regular season for the ABR League, ABR 9. I don't want to misquote it, but I think it's 9. I think so. Yes. And Oubliette was the seventh round that we played, right? So you can't repeat decks throughout this throughout the league. So you know if you played a if you played a deck in Triad or Archon or any of the other weeks ahead of ahead of that, it's not eligible for this final Oubliette round. And we initially had on the schedule Woe Archon for the final week, as a as a nod of optimism toward having decks in hand and everything ready on TCO and what have you. And so. Late in the season, I think it was round five or something, we kind of said, no, okay, it's not going to happen. We're going to swap out Woe Archon for Oubliette. And at this point, right, no one's really, maybe some folks have, uh, but no one's really saving decks for Oubliette for this last round. So now it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're changing gears. We're going to play a bring a good decks format. Um, and hopefully you all have some heat left <laughs> that doesn't overlap in houses and lens sets things up, right? Uh, so, it was, so it was interesting there too, doubly interesting. Um, and I will take the blame for the fact that Oubliette ended up in ABR this season. I was the one who suggested it in the first place. And I do actually um, enjoy the format. You know, I'll take the blame, but um, I don't mind the fact that we had it. I will say that we realized on my team probably back around the sealed week in the middle of the season that the woe archon was just not looking realistic. Mm-hmm. And so at that point we added another, she- another tab to our team spreadsheet to start putting Oubliette decks in there just for exactly the reason that you were saying that what we were worried was going to happen was that we were going to be left without all our decks after triad week. And so we were going to um, end up in a bad spot. It's, it's not just a format that encourages diversity. It almost demands diversity and, and you still want to have decks that can punch hard. Uh, so yeah, we, I mean, we did something similar. It was before it was officially switched, switched over. We started saying, okay, let's, let's maybe earmark some things for, uh, uh, for Oubliette. I know I had a couple that were potentials for triad that were kind of left, left in the off chance that maybe it'll be uh, needed for Oubliette. So. I, I will say though I I didn't play my traditional uh, or a lineup that I've traditionally brought to Oubliette events in round seven. Though I think the lineup that I did bring may have actually been stronger for it. I had to scratch my head a little bit, but I think I ended up with something that was really good. And I'm kind of excited to talk about some of the lineup crafting strategies too. Yeah, let's get into it. Cool. So uh, I think there are kind of maybe three, maybe three kind of general strategies. Um, that you can you can talk about when considering how to put together a lineup for Oubliette. The first one, the one that kind of jumps out at you, right, is sort of what I'll call the greedy strategy, right? Like I'm going to grab my best deck and then I'm going to do that filtering in DOK and then find the best deck that doesn't hit any of that deck's um, houses. And now, okay, I've got my two decks picked. I'm going to look at the houses that are left over and make the highest value ban out of those, right? So maybe that's Mars so that I can kind of take Jenga off the table. Maybe I didn't use Saurians for whatever reason and Saurians can really can really roll hard. So I'm going to ban those. But for whatever reason, uh, I'm kind of 
choosing my best decks first and then picking a band from whatever whatever's left over that I think is going to give me the best value. I think that's kind of how a lot of people approach the format initially. And I think actually, uh, interestingly enough, if you play during the Worlds Collide era, like Worlds Collide almost makes this easy mode, right? Because you kind of pick your best Saurian Star Alliance X deck, and then you find your best Coda AOA deck that doesn't include X and you're good to go, right? So I actually have a bunch of good Saurian Star Alliance Brobnar decks, and I could play pretty much most of my good coded decks with that without worrying about any overlap and then i have a valid oubliette lineup that's not going to like trip over itself whether or not it's the best lineup possible is another question but that's kind of how i see or the greedy strategy crafting strategy does that make sense i do want to point out there that what you were talking about uh, worlds collide really means that and this is going to be a little bit of a hot take here but really means that we may be at the end of the Oubliette format at the moment anyway, because once Winds of Exchange comes in, it's pretty easy to craft an Oubliette lineup at that point. For most of the game's history, the strongest houses have been Logos and Dis, and then, you know, maybe Shadows, maybe Untamed, depending. Um, Saurians, you know, it's there's been a few other ones, but for the most part, it's been a consistent strongest houses. But Woe really turns that on its head, right? Because now your strongest houses are going to be Brobnar, Equidon, Unfathomable, houses that have not traditionally been strong houses. So you can very easily bring a Winds of Exchange deck along with a traditional deck from Coda or MM or whatever and craft the lineup pretty easily that way. So I wonder if the format at that point becomes, I don't know, want to say unplayable, but becomes not nearly as interesting. I think that's true if you are always playing like evergreen oubliette right like okay bring it bring decks from coda to woe and then make your ban um we got a kind of a cool cool question in the chat about our, our thoughts on ghost galaxy entertaining oubliette possible what are you know potentially as a as an official format like i think that would be awesome we can kind of get around to what that mean what that might mean but i think we're almost certainly approaching the point where it makes a lot of sense to talk about oubliette but also with set restrictions or with some sort of a window on the sets, you know, mo- three most recent sets, or or just just woe Oubliette. Like Oubliette within a single set is a very different beast than Oubliette over you know three or four sets. And I think that may very well just become necessary at that point because I don't think that interset Oubliette is an interesting format at that point because it becomes too easy to craft a lineup. Yeah, and I, I think it's just a lot less interesting if there's no tension. If there's less tension on one of your houses being banned, right? As you keep adding more houses, then you know there's just more potential to to kind of whiff on a ban. If the house space becomes very sparse with decks, I guess is a way to say it, then it becomes less interesting. So yeah, if you want to constrict the space to uh, a set or two, it's probably more appropriate for Oubliette if it were to become an official format. You know, yeah, there there are some feels around auto losses and stuff, so. Maybe there would be a hard restriction around uh, not overlapping your houses or something for uh, for it if it were official. It can be very unclear sometimes to a newer player uh, as to how the banning works and everything. So I do think something that just strictly says you are not allowed to um, overlap houses mm-hmm. makes more sense than that potential feel bad moment of. You know, you just got hit with a ban that just that eliminated both your decks or you accidentally banned your own deck or something like that. I mean, certainly the like, hey, you banned your own deck. Are you sure? 
would be a good restriction to enforce. I think that the risk reward of bringing overlaps is actually like really interesting. And if the, so the, the time shapers league is set up as a double elimination uh, bracket. If it were say a round Robin, I'd be tempted to overlap houses. I wouldn't do it for double elimination because like in a, in a, in a bracket in the kind of a cup scenario, like an auto loss is devastating, but you know, in a, in a large round Robin, I might, I might be willing to take one auto loss for, for the potential upside of more choices from two different decks. Anyway, uh, I guess just to kind of capstone this thought, maybe we can come back to it. I think between Oubliette and best of one triad, there are some, those two are really, really interesting options for bring your own decks, no reversal, no chains, best of one, uh, formats or variants. That, that could be potentially considered. I do love some best of one triad, but if Ghost Galaxy were to decide to look at best of one triad as an official format, I want it to be the actual best of one triad format. Oh yeah. Not totally. the one that was proposed um, back at the beginning of the official formats. I think they, and to their credit, recognize that it was, you know, maybe a misfire. So I, I hope they, I hope they reevaluate, but with kind of what we would call traditional best of one triad. Uh, where you bring three decks, get one banned, and then choose one of the remaining two after reviewing your opponent's lineup to play. Awesome format. It's a little bit off topic, but yeah, there's no question that formats that leave one deck on the bench tend to be the most skill-intensive formats because, and Nordic Hexad obviously being another great example of a format like that, because it just puts so much more thought into it when you can have that kind of, what I call a tech deck in there. But Let's get back on topic. So <laughs> the second lineup crafting strategy, Justin, what is it? Uh, so I'm calling this one the like top-down band strategy. And you don't have to actually pick your band first, but uh, but maybe we'll, for the sake of argument, we'll say that you do. But for one reason or other, you're kind of crafting a lineup around a ban. And the best example of this is you're going to say, hey, I'm going to ban this because I don't want to see Infernus. And in a world without Infernus, let me consider what are the best decks I can bring, right? So easy example is, you know, I'm, you know, high pip counts. I'm going to ban this and then I'm just going to bring lots of pips in both of my other decks and, and hope that by dodging Infernus, then, you know, I've got my Dust Pixies decks, I've got my Virtuous Works decks, and I'm going to jam those and, you know, without Infernus, hope that's enough. So I think that's kind of like the next level up from, from Greedy in terms of thinking about your strategies. And I saw a lot of these on the ABR uh, lineups too. That was my traditional strategy for Oubliette for a long time was to pick a band and then work around that band. And usually my band would always be Logos because as I said before, the strongest decks tend to be Logos decks. So it really brings the power level down when you take Logos out of the equation for the most part. Now, I mean, I know you have some ridiculous um, non-Logos decks, but they're they're fewer and farther between. <laughs> Yep. Well, I'm, I'm curious about this too, because I think Dis has very obvious, like, okay, there's no Dis. I know what I can build around, right? And Furnace is just like a presence that when taken out, gives you some, some kind of avenues to work with, right? With Logos, is your, is your thought really just bringing down the power level? Or are you thinking like, you know, in a world where decks are less efficient, I have some other decks that can thrive? Um, or is it uh, some, some kind of combination? I don't know. I think it's exactly the second thing. Now, mm. when you take Logos out and you take that efficiency out, first of all, you like like I said before, you do bring down the power level at that point overall by taking out that efficiency. But 
you also, for the most part, tend to force people into needing alternate forms of efficiency in order to get their decks moving. And if you have decks that can provide those alternate forms of efficiency, then that can work out really well for you. Uh, that was my strategy for this um, ABR season, where uh, I brought a deck that had, and it was shocking for me, but it was a DT deck, and uh, it had a Hingska combo in it. Actually, it's a double Hingska. It has um, the Hings and Gross twice, which is kind of cool because they can grab all the Hings and Grosses at once. It ended up being uh, unfortunate that it just didn't draw well, but had it actually drawn decently, um, I would have been able to get a significant amount of efficiency going. And I think that um, would have overcome um, not having logos um, around. Yeah, the decks that can thrive in, the, in a less efficient world or, or bring efficiency otherwise is a good one there too. I, I struggled, I will admit, I struggled a little bit with the logos band kind of top-down approach because I did come at it more of like, yeah, there's efficiency, but there wasn't like a card that was missing that, was so prevalent that I could exploit. Like, okay, you could say there's no Eddie, but there are other there are other key cost increasers that are that are common too. I mean, yeah, I definitely have some efficient non-logos decks. Brickblade is a a favorite on the show. That uh, Arlie dismantled in a sad Brickblade day. <laughs> no no fault of the pilot, just a sad deck day, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that's an interesting one, and I'll be curious to take a look at some of the lineups too. In the end, you know, it doesn't matter how good a deck is. Um, any deck can lose to an unfortunate draw. It just, you know, is going to happen sometimes. Yep. Yep. Even if it is what, what is that? The, the most efficient non-Logos deck in the world. Am I right about that? The most efficient non-Logos deck in the world as rated by DOK. Indeed it is. Unless there's been one uh, printed more efficient between uh, uh, last week and this one. <laughs> uh, Double-edged sword, those punctuate equilibriums. But man, when they, when they line up, that deck can really fly. Uh, is a fun blend to play. Um, cool. So the uh, the last strategy is really sort of building on the first, on the second one, uh, and I don't have a, a classy name for it. So you know, folks in the chat or, or or you, John, if you have an idea, I'm all ears. But this one, I'll describe it as you bring decks that not only thrive in a world where your band house is banned, but also try to cover holes left or that might be attempted to be exploited by bands from your other deck in your lineup. And that was a lot of words that probably sounded like soup. So I'm going to give you an example. <laughs> That's good. Cause even I was having a hard time following that. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm still shopping the, uh, uh, the description there, but the lineup that I played for oh, definitely soup. Well, maybe it was tasty soup. I don't know. Thanks chat. <laughs> some, uh, gazpacho, some nice chilled soup. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I brought combo grieve, a different combo grieve, uh, combo grieve cell warden, uh, and, Combo Grief Cell Warden features Dis, Shadows, Star Alliance, and I also brought Evil Twin of Duchess Ventura, Logos, Unfathomable, Untamed, uh, with Saurians being banned. So no dinos, both these, neither of these decks, excuse me, really want to see runaway boards, but you can see they both have either Dis or Logos. I guess a prime example of what I'm trying to say is my non-Dis deck tried to have answers to things that you would bring if you were banning dis. Does that make sense? If you were to ban uh, dis, then you probably are bringing something very rushy, right? If you ban dis or even shadows, something very rushy generates amber very quickly. Uh, so I made sure to bring a deck that was capable of 
dealing with lots and lots of amber and similar similar for some of the other houses right like I tried to think like, well, if you ban Untamed or if you ban Logos, what are you going to be doing? And am I making sure to bring counter tech in my opposite deck for those types of strategies? I think that you could be right. I also think it's possible that if somebody, for example, bans Dis, I think it's possible that they ban Dis simply because they don't like playing against control. And I think that personal preference does play a lot into people's oubliette choices as well. You know, some people don't like playing against Rush, so they might ban Untamed. Some people don't like playing against Control, so they might ban Dis. I do wonder, looking at some of the bans that have been that were on your um, data, I saw Unfathomable come up as a ban a few times, and you're just talking about Unfathomable, so it made me think about this. And I'm wondering what the goal was for people who were banning Unfathomable at this point. Now, if you throw Woe into the mix, I, I totally understand why you're banning Unfathomable, and I get that. But DT Unfathomable, I guess it has a lot of bounce effects. So if you don't want to deal with that, those kind of bounce effects. But in that case, like if you're worried about that kind of control, you're probably still banning Dis instead because Dis is still more dangerous in terms of its control until mm-hmm. you get into Woe. I am kind of curious as to what the thinking was behind um, Unfathomable bans. I figured maybe people who were bringing Saurians and so they were worried about getting their creatures bounced all the time, which, you know, DT Unfathomable is very good at doing. But yeah, I am i don't totally get that. Maybe someone in the chat has an idea. I'm not sure what the thinking was there. It could be uh, like a, I just don't want to play against DT and this is my me thumbing my nose at DT <laughs> sort of a thing. <laughs> in terms of the things that Unfathomable is doing, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit in terms of like, uh, if I, if I want to not see Maelstrom, then I'm probably better off banning Untamed and hitting Nature's Call and Lost mm-hmm. in the Woods or something, right? Yeah. But, you know, if I also, for whatever reason, have to play Untamed, then I'm going on to the next thing. So maybe, maybe it's the, uh, the quick draw, the quick draw spite ban just to hit those whirlpools. <laughs> Maybe. I felt so bad for, for quick draw during um, our ABR game because he had this whole whirlpool plan and his whirlpool came out and I don't, and I had multiple forms of R in the deck because, you know, in that, in the jank week, you had to be ready for anything and the whirlpool did not last the turn. And I, I want to say too, didn't you have like drumbles and things in that deck too? So it could have yeah. been, could have been uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There is a drumble in there, but my general feeling is that if you're bringing a whirlpool deck, you probably have a whirlpool plan. My coda yeah. deck probably is not as good at dealing with whirlpool as what your deck is going to be. If I'm bringing maybe like a Sanctum Saurian like MM deck, then maybe I take the chance there. But just for the sake of the one Drumble, I don't think it's worth taking that chance. No. And I mean, you really have to commit to that Drumble too. It's like, I'm, I'm never going to play creatures just so that, you know, I can play Drumble, pass it to you, and then be able to pass it right back in, if you also have an empty board. Drumble is so easily avoidable too, because of the fact that you can just go to six and that generally solves the problem. Hmm. Yeah. We'll see. Where was he? Uh, I don't know if I was anywhere, but anyway, back to the lineup crafting strategies. Uh, so to close this point out, uh, I want to actually hit on something that Quickdraw was saying. And if he was here, he would definitely uh, have some points to raise about, about Oubliette or, or similar formats, you know, uh, in, in his mind, you know, like uh, Sascap, right? Any, any types of formats or variants that place uh, artificial restrictions on the game or the decks that you can play, like Jank, 
right? So we're saying, oh, uh, 75, 65 SAS or lower, or you get to bat a house, and now all of a sudden the deck pool is constrained, and the sort of natural balance that comes from the algorithm is upset, and it makes for the potential of very, I don't know, for the RPSness of the game to be abused in ways that are, you know, not necessarily healthy, uh, shall we say. So it opens up the door to abuse, abuse kind of these inherent imbalances that get counterbalanced with, you know, the fullness of the environment. But when you take just slices of it, uh, it's more easy to set up these things that are less balanced, shall we say. I'm also not super convinced that it's a major problem for Oubliette because I think the deck pool is still deep enough to allow for a lot of balancing and counterbalancing. I do think that in formats like SASCAP, it becomes a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that in SASCAP is because of the fact that ultimately SASCAP is based upon one person's opinion of what card strength is. I mean, I know there's a council that helps out and everything, but it is ultimately based on one person's opinion of what card strength is. And it is generally very good, but we do know that it has gaping holes, DT being one of those gaping holes. And so it's a lot easier to find the weaknesses in that system than to find the weaknesses in the entire um, card pool simply restricted by houses. So his, um, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here, but I think his, his, his comeback to that is, would be something like, well, whether or not you think Infernus is fun, you know, it provides a very important pressure on the environment, on the metagame to keep kind of, you know, pip heavy rush in check. And so when you take it out, you're kind of opening up the door uh, for some of these strategies that are normally kept in check to become a little bit, you know, more abusive. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess posing that as a question, I think, well, yeah, I'll pose it as a question before I give my take. I mean, I guess my question there would be that if Infernus in the meta is necessary in order to keep Pip Heavy Rush um, in check, then what happens in sets where you don't have Infernus? Like take, for example, as much as I get, again, I hate to do it, but Take DT as an example. <laughs> DT has a lot of pip-heavy rush. There's a lot of very um, pip-heavy rush decks uh, in there. And Infernus is not in a DT-only meta because this isn't in there. And mm-hmm. so if that's the case, then does that mean that the only thing that matters in DT is just pip-heavy rush decks and there's nothing else there? Well, I mean, nobody's playing DT only Archon, though, right? Like your your DT Archon. Well, I guess save for some events, right? Uh, I guess. Well, I guess no, that's fair because I mean, Joker ran some events with that were DT only, yeah. That were DT only, and uh, and yeah, we didn't see kind of Pip Heavy Archon running away with things. So that's true. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I mean, I guess where I was where I was going to try and circle this around to is I think Infernus is one example. You can also see folks bringing capture and exalt heavy decks and then saying, okay, no, no untamed, right? Like no nature's call, no lost in the woods. And does that take away one of the best answers to an otherwise abusive strategy? And I think my take on that or my response to that is, well, maybe, but maybe it also challenges you to dig a little bit deeper in your collection. And and that's kind of tying into the third lineup crafting strategy where like, okay, if you have a deck with Untamed that features Nature's Call, or even if you are not playing Nature's Call in Lost of the Woods, 
but your non-untamed deck may may value even more highly things like bounce like fear or uh fear or lights out right because right if you see if you see an untamed ban and you have to play a non-untamed deck it's very likely you're playing something that doesn't want to see those cards and so i almost want to say like in an oubliette world graft may be better than team tp i, I don't know because if if shadows gets banned because of team tp you might be super happy to have graft and then similarly like lights out uh fear uh their stocks go up because you're gonna get to play them in games where you might not get to play lost in the woods or nature's call and in particular are seeing decks that really don't want to see lost in the woods or nature's call and you know there's other answers to those sorts of things too right i mean there's something like cyber clone <laughs> you know it's a terrible mm-hmm. card but the harder they come Mm-hmm. You know, we'll deal with yeah. a lot of those things. Um, and then we were talking before about Unfathomable. Unfathomable has a whole bunch of things that bounce. There's Hysteria and Dis. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of answers there. And I guess my point is just the fact that there is no house that has an exclusive monopoly on being able to counter another house. Mm-hmm. There's always tools available. Yeah, I think you could make a case for like there being a house that does the counter thing best for any particular strategy. Yes. Most most strategies anyway. And I think this this third this third lineup crafting approach, I think what I'm trying to highlight is that you know, if you're looking for a very well-rounded oubliette lineup, then it's worth considering what's going to be valuable to have in one deck when the other one gets banned. And I guess the, that was kind of the, the big takeaway, big punchline. For, for strategy number three. I think it also yeah, gives a nod toward how you can really take advantage of or, or turn the idea on its head of some of these artificial restrictions creating more uh, one-sided uh, matchups or more variants and, and see it more as an opportunity to like create some more evenness in your lineups. I don't know. You know, and it's interesting because you can do a lot of this kind of theory crafting um, about, oh, if I do this, then my opponent might do this. So I have to counter with this. And But at the end of the day, I've always found that the best strategy is to bring good decks mm-hmm. and trust in those good decks. And most of the time that strategy will pay off. Now, obviously having the game skill to recognize where the threats are and be able to use your pieces to neutralize them. But most good decks will be able to answer to some degree just about anything now they may answer some things better than they answer other things but they should have at least some tool that can work against anything Um, Mm -hmm. i think we're at the end of the era where like you can afford to bring a deck to a competitive event that doesn't have artifact control for um, example i think there's too many dangerous artifacts out there for that you need to to have a good deck have answers to various things. And if you have that, I think ultimately that will serve you well in the end. No, I'd agree. I think if you can bring a lineup to bear that is strong enough to, I don't know, even just ignore the fact that you're you're playing a format like Oubliette and there are bands happening, then go for it. Like that's probably the best thing you could do. The deck that the deck that comes to mind for me uh, is my other combo grief, the one that I do usually talk about on the show, He Who Slices the Gully. Uh, it's a deck that I would probably consider bringing to Archon or have definitely considered bringing to Archon, but probably would not consider bringing to Oubliette only because it, its houses are also its Kryptonite, you know? Uh, so I, while I would, while I would be fine with wading through 
an open archon field where there are going to be some number of infernaces, I probably wouldn't say like, hey, dist is not getting banned. And I'm very likely seeing lots of infernaces uh, on the day. So so yes and no. I think that, it, yeah, it comes down to knowing your decks, knowing how well they're going to thrive in an open environment, but also how well they're going to thrive maybe in the Liat world too, per se. I will say, though, that based upon the data that Aurora showed in terms of which houses were most common in the um, Time Shapers League, and mm-hmm. sorry, which cards were most common as well, Infernus wasn't on there, at least not amongst the top cards, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's almost always number one on those lists, except, you know, sometimes Theros and Turian for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. It's a, it's a sleeper there, but it, it's so true. <laughs> but it means that we do get a bit of variety in the meta um, in playing Oubliette. So it kind of achieves its goal in that way, right? You get You don't end up with the exact same lineup compositions that you see in Archon. Even setting aside that you have don't don't have any overlap in your houses uh between the two decks, probably. There is a, there is some self I don't know, self-policing happening too, where you're like, I maybe want to avoid some of these bands. Uh so I'm not gonna bring, you know, the Infernuses or something and and try and dodge a ban or two. I didn't look specifically, but I'm actually wondering if anybody in that league brought a logo slash disc deck other than the one that I brought. I think Aurora has a tag for all the decks. I'll dig it up in a second here. I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I did not. I can tell you that. We have, what, 11? 11 bands for either Logos or Dis. The possibilities are not too many. There's seven potential lineups that could have it. Looking here, it's definitely not amongst the most popular house combinations. That is for sure. There are two. There are two. one other deck besides mine. It is Dis Logo Saurian. So very brave to bring that. That's brave. Interesting. Dis Logo Saurian. Really interesting. Got Zenzi, two Ludos. Sorry about that. Inspector, no Infernaces. Okay. Interesting one. Yeah, very interesting. Toronto. Oh, spicy. I like it. Bold. A bold move. All of the yep. uh, all of the bands. The band magnet deck. <laughs> mm-hmm. I dig it. We'll see how it fares. I'll be curious. Well, cool. Well, uh, well, that's sweet. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should put some of this theory to the test. Try out an Oubliette game of our own. Sure. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we could we could definitely talk about this for another hour, but maybe we'll save that for the next one, <laughs> the bonus content, <laughs> and talk about our lineups that we end up playing on the stream. So the folks who are listening uh, have some incentive to head on over and catch the recording too. Any any kind of final words on on Oubliette? You want to you want to drop or or Robros before we kind of switch gears? I think ultimately, if you haven't tried the format Oubliette or Robros for that matter, I think it's absolutely worth trying. I think that it's a um, fun format to play, and it does lead to a different KeyForge experience than what you're typically going to be used to. That said, if you're expecting that it's going to be um, a format that's going to you know, solve all of the problems of Keyforge where everybody is going to be on a level playing field. That's not the format for you. Um, there are formats that attempt to do that, but that's, but Oubliette is not one of them. Oubliette is just going to give you um, some good variety, uh, a little bit of a different play experience, but it is still going to ultimately advantage deeper collections and um, stronger decks. 
Right on. Cool. Well, I guess I'll give us a note from uh, our sponsors for this episode. Very, very thank you much to our sponsors. So today's episode of Bottom of the Beaker is sponsored by Tangle Roots Hair Salon and Spa with services ranging from haircuts to full body waxes. Tangle Roots will leave you feeling fresh and ready to take on any opponent. Tangle Roots, because looking good is half the battle. So thank you, Tangle Roots. Folks who are interested in hanging out with us uh, for our live recordings of Bottom of the Beaker can do so every Tuesday at 9.30 Eastern right here at twitch.tv slash sloppy lab work. Uh, if you'd like to see uh, recordings of our past episodes and other streams, head on over to youtube.com, search for at sloppy lab work there. And for the very best content, 3,457 times distilled and scraped from the bottom of the beaker, search for that phrase, bottom of the beaker, in your podcatcher of choice, and we'll be uh, there. Staring at you up from the oubliette. Many thanks to John for hopping with me and talking some oubliette this evening. John from the Weekend Key Warriors cast. Uh, Thank you, John. Thank you, Justin. And stay sloppy, folks.